let's take your Bibles now and open up them to Colossians 1. And this is uh, part five in our Colossians series, and it's taken a lot longer than I had anticipated, but I'm not in a hurry. I don't know if you guys are in a hurry. I'm not in a hurry. And uh, we're just gonna get through as many verses as we can today. But let's just rejoice. Are you guys glad to be in the house of the Lord, studying the things of God with the people of God? You can clap. It's like, are you guys, fi- this is important. It's very important, and I'm, I'm praying that in Jesus' name, you're stirred, you're edified, you're encouraged, you're rebuked, you're, you're righted in your thinking, because there's a lot of time in between our Sunday gatherings, a lot of time in between the things we do as Christians, and if you're like me, man, you get pulled, and you get tripped, and you get led down all kinds of various paths, and I'll tell you what, there's no greater time, no more important time than right now in 2021 to be getting into God's word and God's word into us. Man, we gotta stay right and stay true, so I'm gonna say a quick prayer, ask God to bless his word, and ask him to bless us as we get into it. Father, in Jesus' name, have your way during this time as we study your word. Lord, we've worshiped, we've taken communion, we've prayed, we've fellowshiped, and now we're going to get into your word, Lord, the apostles and the epistles doctrine, and may you, Lord, have your way in our hearts. Write your word, Lord, on our hearts that we might live our lives for your glory and for others' good. I pray for an anointing in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Pick up with me in verse 7. Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. It's a church he'd never been to, but he'd heard about. And when he heard about this church, he was in prison. He got a visitor in prison. You ever been in jail and been visited? Don't raise your hand. It's kind of awkward, you know. I've been visited. Actually, no, I didn't get visited while I was in jail. But I I visited people since then. And I know what it's like to visit people in jail. And you're sitting there waiting. You got the phone, and they come in, and they're, and you get to pray with them. And Pastor Paul's in jail, and a guy named... Epaphras comes to visit him, and Epaphras tells him, he's like, hey, I planted a church in Colossae. And Paul says, no way, are you kidding me? What's it like? And he tells him, he's like, man, they're full of faith. They got faith in Jesus. These are the real deal. He said, well, how do you know? He's like, well, they have love for all the people. And Paul's like, they love all the people or just their friends? They're like, they love everybody. And where's their hope at? Are they hoping for the Romans to bounce out, for things to get better, and the pandemic to ease up? He's like, no, no, their hope is in heaven. And Paul says, are you for real? This sounds like a legit church, and Epaphras tells him that story, and then Paul begins to piece it together and says, you know why they're a faithful church, Epaphras? Because of you. You taught them everything you knew. You taught them to put their faith in Jesus, to have love for everyone, and their hope to be secure in heaven. And that is the call of every man, every woman, every mom, every dad, every grandma, every grandpa, every coworker, everybody in here to know Jesus and to make him known to the uttermost parts of the world. And so Paul now hears about this church in Colossae. He's so fired up in jail that instead of calling for the warden to be released, he says, I'm going to write a letter of encouragement to y'all so you keep going. And in verse 7 is where we left off last week. He says, as you, he's writing to the church, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who declared to us your love in the spirit. Paul now writing to the church, knowing it would be read to them, not just the church at Colossae, but the church in Laodicea and the church there in that area, the church of Hierapolis. And he would say, make sure this is read to all the churches. Make sure it gets read to South Beach Church. And he creates within our mindset here a culture of honor where Paul is honoring Epaphras. So when Epaphras goes back, maybe there was dishonor. Maybe there were some people in the church that didn't like him. Maybe there were some people that he was fighting with or whatever the case was. Have you ever seen a dishonorable congregation or a dishonorable country? Have you ever seen anything like this before? There's not a lot of honor that comes naturally. We have to be compelled to honor one another. And I would, I would compel you guys. Let's give honor where honor is due. And let's be more honorable towards others than dishonorable. And so Paul, Paul could have said a few things about Epaphras, like, hey, man, you guys got to watch out for this sucker and, you know, this or that. He's like, hey, he is a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I'm stoked for him. Not only has he been ministering to you faithfully, but he came to me, and you know what he told me? He gave me good words. You ever had somebody come visit you and give you good words? The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that words that are fitly spoken, they're like apples and settings of gold. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds cool. That's what Proverbs says. The Bible also says that the words have the power of medicine. A merry heart brings health to the bones, but a dry spirit brings brokenness and death. I just want to encourage you. You have a lot of power in your words and your countenance and the way you speak. I've said it this way over the years that a lot of people bring joy wherever they go and a lot of people bring joy whenever they go. <laughs> is that sad or is that funny? It's a little of both, right? And I'm not kidding you, dude. It's like, who do you want to be? You want to bring the guy or gal that brings joy wherever you go? It's a choice. The book of Proverbs says we have the power of life and death in our tongue. And you have a choice today. So here's Epaphras. Epaphras pops in. He's like, hey, Paul, let me tell you some stuff. Oh. And Paul's like, all right, what do you got? What do you got? And he's like, man, the church, it is sick. And he starts showing him selfies of all the people, to, you know, in Colossae. And, and Paul writes this letter. It's, it's mostly encouragement. Chapter one and chapter two are doctrinal about who Jesus is primarily. We're going to get to that this week and next week. And then chapters three and four are primarily about duty. Once you know the doctrine, that is the teaching of God and who God is and what God's done, only then will you know what to do with your life. And until you know who God is and what God's done, you're not gonna do your life rightly. It's doctrine that leads to duty, and that's how the book is broken up. And so when he writes this, he says, I just wanna point out the fact that you guys have this faith, hope, and love. We talked about that at an extent, uh, uh, great detail. Last week, you can download the teaching. And I just wanna point out the fact that the way that this church grew, the way that this church had success is, again, due to Epaphras following what Paul had given to him. And there's a great tension and there's a great mystery and there's great teaching within this principle. Here's the principle I'm gonna to give to you. Ready for this, guys? Write this down. If you guys are a note taker, you should be. There's notes right there you can fill out. This is a big one. Without him, you can't. And without you, he won't. I used to just trip out about that. You can't do anything without Christ, right? Apart from me, you can do, what, what, about, what did Jesus say? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing, you know? John 15, he said, if you break off the branch and you go do your own silly stuff, man, you're gonna get nowhere. You bite in me, you're gonna bear fruit. You, you can do nothing apart from me. Okay, but here's the deal. Did you know that God will do nothing apart from you? Now, you can email me, and I'll put it in my junk mail, you know, but you can email me if that, you know, you don't like that. It's a principle. Without him, I can't. Without you, he won't. God has purposefully co-opted and committed to advancing his kingdom with the sons and daughters of God. Hey, Pete, he said there in Matthew 16, here's the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, sometimes these parents that I'm friends with on Facebook are always posting pictures of their kids when they get their driver's license. It's like, watch out, my kid's on the road. You know what I'm saying? And here's Jesus, who is God, giving the keys to the kingdom to Peter, who's the biggest wild card there is. And he tells Pete, I'm gonna build my church on your declaration that I'm God, because he just asked him that simple question. Who do you think I am? He said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. It's very, very simple. Here's my point. And I've taught this before. This is not new. As a matter of fact, when I was typing this out, I was like, Lord, I've taught this to them before. You know, is this from you or is this from me just being a weirdo? And the master principle of learning is rhyme, rhythm, and repetition. And so we need to hear this stuff over and over again. God has co-opted with us to do our part as he does his part. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Mark chapter four. You can write it down and read it later. In Mark chapter four, it's the sower and the seed. It's the, the principle of the sower, how it works and what's going on. But in Mark four fourteen, it's one of the shortest verses of the entire Bible. It says, the sower sows the word. There it is right there. Isn't that a fun one to memorize? If you go in your Bible and just look at it, under the sower sows the word. And if you fast forward to verse 26 and 28, it gets even more cool than that. We'll see if it comes up on the screen. It says, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground... 
and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. Listen, he himself does not know how. What's the next verse say? For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that, the full grain of that. You can take those verses down. One of my favorite verses is Mark 4, 27. It says, the sower sows the seed, and he goes to bed, and he wakes up, and there's a produce, and he doesn't even know how it works. People are always saying farming's hard. Evidently, it's not. I'm kidding. <laughs> I can't. I'm 100% kidding. All the farmers out there are like, we're out of here. No, farming's, no, you know what I'm saying? And Jesus is using that as a spiritual illustration. What he's saying is, is I designed the seeds to grow. Okay? You put the seed in the ground, you water it, you give it some time, you go to bed. It's really not that hard. And sometimes you and me in a spiritual climate, we complicate things. We're like, well, they're not ready to be saved, or I don't know if they're going to be saved. And that's not your call. You have no idea what you're talking about. You're looking at the prime suspect up here of people not looking like they're going to be saved. Okay? And if God can save Pastor Paul, or if he can save Pastor Luke, or if he can save you, he can save anybody. The sower sows the word. That's our job. And God brings the increase. And I, I love just going to bed. <gasps> you wake up, you're like, whoa, what are you all doing here? Yeah. And as we're here at South Beach Church, we just had our 11-year anniversary, and the church has grown and just been what we would call, it's a secular term, but successful. The church is, there's people here growing. Okay, and that's what God does. Yet again, the principle remains, without him, you can't. And without you, he won't. So I put that on you with me today, that the Lord wants us to be like Epaphras. What did Epaphras do? He shared the word where he was at. And then when he came to Paul, he shared the word with him. He had this encouraging word for him. Wouldn't that be, I kind of try and make my teachings, I don't do a very good job at this, but I try and make my teachings both true, but also applicational. Okay, that means they're not just truth on ice, but they're truth that are all fired up and ready for you to take home and eat and to do something. Wouldn't it be awesome if this week you committed to these two things? I want to be like Epaphras. Okay, I want to help others to grow in the truth. I'm going to give it to them in that way. But then when I go to other people and talk about those people, I'm going to talk about those people in an honorable way. Okay, he showed up to Paul and he gave him an earful of good news. You ever got an earful of bad news? Somebody just comes to you, oh, I'm going to tell you about this person. You're like, hold, hold up, let me get a trash can. You can go ahead and talk right into this trash can. Here, talk right in this trash can. My pastor used to stop people right in the middle of his talking about other people. He said, I don't want to hear you talk about this person unless you go get that person and talk about that person to both of us because it's just not helpful. You're going to color my mind. You're going to color my, 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 my thoughts. You're going to color, maybe it's even true, but context, man, context. Be very careful of how you talk about other people and what you do. I want to be a person who, like Epaphras, showed up and said, let me just tell you about the church. And then Paul, in turn, wrote a letter to the church and said, I want to tell you guys about Epaphras, your homie, your pastor, who is a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's this story, actually, in the book of Acts. It's, it's chapter uh, 18. It, it might come up on the screen. And in eight, Acts 18, it's one of my favorite stories. I'm going to turn there just in case it doesn't come up. In Acts 18, Paul's in Corinth. And he's kind of discouraged. You guys ever been to Corinth before? It was basically where they filmed Church Gone Wild, and uh, things were not good there, and uh, things were out of control. And, and Paul was discouraged. And it says in Acts 18.5, there it is, it says this. It says, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit, and he testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Stop right there. Just leave, right th- leave it there. Here's the context. The context is amazing because Paul in Corinth would then, Macedonia is uh, where Thessalonica is in the church of the Thessalonians. And so Paul would be so fired up that in that moment, he would actually write to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians, and he would write to them. And you know what he told them? He said, my homies, Timothy and Silas just got here. And you know what they told me when they got here? They said, you guys in Thessalonica are fired up. 
They said, you guys are growing. Now, you guys know the people in Thessalonica. When Paul was preaching in Thessalonica, they gave him a knee to the back and an elbow to the head, and they pushed him out, and they kicked him out. They said, we don't want you here, and they kicked him out of the town. So Paul left Thessalonica like, you guys really mad at me, aren't you? You don't want anything to do with me. And yet Paul, Timothy, and Silas showed up, and they said, dude, you preached faithfully, and there's a church now there in Thessalonica. And Paul was in Corinth, discouraged. He says, thank you for that word. And you know what he did? He preached powerfully in Corinth. Acts chapter 18, we're gonna be teaching it this week here live. You can come join us. It's gonna come up right around Wednesday or Thursday. And in Acts chapter 18, some of the coolest things happened there in Corinth. Church gone wild. This is a rough, tough place. Paul gets beat up. Other guys get beat up. People are getting slapped around. It's crazy in real time. And yet the church is growing and there's encouragement. I would just apply it this way. Maybe you struggle with discouragement. I know I do. And yet when a word comes to me and tells me what God is doing, Paul was kicked out of Thessalonica. Paul was kicked out of the synagogue in Corinth. Things weren't going well. And yet a couple of people said, dude, I'm so encouraged. And can I just say, you guys are one of the most encouraging congregations I've ever been around. I get messages all week long. And I thank you for the people who are at home messaging all week long, praying for you. Love you. I appreciate you, proud of you. I get people also giving me exhortation. Hey, Luke, I want you to think about this and consider this. People, people pouring into my life. Let's make sure that that's the culture of South Beach Church, that we're a loving church, we're an honoring church, we're an exhorting church. We're not talking bad about other people behind their back, but instead we're talking about the good stuff and encouraging one another. I tell you what, that's how it happened here in the apostle's life as he was in jail and he gets fired up and he begins now to be encouraged and to write this letter to the church there that they might be encouraged. So guys, it all comes down to the way you respond to your situation and circumstances, to the way you let God's word lead and guide you. Because it is hard to find bad news. Anybody find any bad news recently? Okay, it's, it's not hard to find bad news. You can go to the grocery store and look at the price of apples. It's bad news, you know? It's bad news. You still need apples. Man, I'm buying apples all day long. I spend more money on apples than I, you know what I'm saying? It's bad news. We need some good news. We need some good news. Share the good news even in the midst of the bad news, and God is going to use that. Not only did, did Epaphras share good news, verses seven and eight, And not only was there health there, but there's also prayer. Guys, look at verses 9 through 15. This is where we're going to be today. We've got 12 minutes left. We're going to to make it happen, though. Maybe we're not. We're probably not. We're going to try. It says, for this reason, we also, verse 9, since the day we heard it, man, we don't cease to pray for you and to ask that, and here's this prayer, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul now gives to us his outline of prayer for this church. Listen, 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 listen. This church that was already successful. It's a church that was already working. They're killing it. They're doing great. And he says, you know what I'm gonna pray for? That it keeps going. Oftentimes we pray for people who are down and out and falling through the cracks and, and their lives are falling apart. That's the right thing to do. Can I get a duh from somebody? Duh, yeah, duh, duh, you know? But we don't often pray for the successful people. We just kind of, I don't know, we're weird. We have a tendency actually to despise successful people in organizations that are outside of our reach. And like, wow, yeah, that pastor, that church, or, or that family. Could I just say, every family, every church, every organization, every person that's successful needs your prayers, okay, just as much as the person that's having a real tough time, obviously. The devil is out to undo, okay, the work of God. That's just what he does. 
And so Paul says, since I heard of your faithfulness and what's happening, I haven't stopped praying for you. That's interesting. I haven't stopped praying. Don't stop praying. Don't raise your hand, but how many guys would say that if you were going to examine your spiritual disciplines, prayer would come up on the chart as being one of the ones that needs to be addressed the most? Don't raise your hand, but you're like, yeah, spiritual disciplines, but I don't pray enough. I just don't pray enough. Okay, we've talked about prayer so many times and I don't ever wanna not talk about prayer. It's so cool that Adam came up here and said, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna pray starting October 7th and we're gonna pray for the families in Beirut and all around us. Prayer is what God wants us to be a, a, a people that do. And I'm gonna give you seven points on prayer quickly that we've covered over the years. This is not gonna be new to you, but it's important because while you might know this, let's just be honest, some of y'all, I raise my hand, aren't doing it. You ever know something but you don't do it? okay. No? Okay. Anyways, uh, maybe that's just pray for me. Pray for me. We'll start with that. Number one, Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray. Okay? So if you suck at praying, ask Jesus to help you. Don't raise your hand, but how many times have you prayed and it didn't work, or you like set your mind to prayer, you're going to pray, and you tried to do it on your own? What was the first principle we learned today? Apart from him, you can do nothing. Okay, apart from you, he won't do anything either. But you can't pray without his power. If the disciples themselves were with Jesus the Christ and said, would you teach us to pray? How much more so do you need him to help you to pray? If you don't have a good prayer life, don't don't just flex harder, okay? Ask more. Lord, would you make me a prayer person? And when he then gives you the power and the unction to pray, I've been walking in this for the last couple of weeks and months actually, more and more when I'm with people out and about, I found myself kind of the conversation winding down or about to part. And and I just say, before we go, I'm going to pray. And I just insert myself as kind of that that person. You have the authority to do the same thing. Can I pray for you real quick? Can we pray real quick? Let's just pray real quick. I'm gonna pray real quick. Would you pray real quick? Let's pray real quick. Hey, let's pray real quick. There's lots of ways to segue into prayer. It's real fun when I'm praying with a bunch of guys, especially from Lincoln County, that have hats. It's so funny because all the guys will just whip their hats off like, you know, we're praying, you know, and you can leave your hat on, you pray. You can take it off too, but it's fun. Let's pray. Let's pray. You, you, if you don't, I don't pray very well. Neither did the disciples. You think you're better than them? No, I'm all messed up. Number two, if Jesus was God and prayed, you who are not God, better pray, okay? Jesus was on the earth and he prayed more than them. He's God in the flesh. He's 100% man, 100% God. It's a mystery, but they come together in this synergy and God in the flesh prayed every single day more than you and I will ever pray. If Jesus prayed who was God, you who are not God, man, you need to pray. Moving on. Point number three, prayer's always answered. What are the answers? Yes, no, and not yet. See, sometimes we don't pray because it didn't get answered. And it did get answered. You just didn't like that answer. I prayed that this would happen, and it didn't happen. Well, that might be a straight no, you know, or it might be a not yet. It might be a yes. So a lot of people don't pray because it didn't get answered. That's, that's a fallacy. It's always answered. Number four, prayer always works. Not only is it always answered, it always works. Listen to this. Either your circumstances change through prayer or you change through prayer. Something always changes. Have you ever prayed for something to change and it did? You're like, no way! I got stories. I got to keep it to myself, but I, I pray and things have happened. I've also prayed and nothing happens, except I walk away with what the Bible calls the peace that passes understanding. I walk away a different man, different than it was before I prayed. But the situation's the same. It's still heavy. It's still bad. It's still weighty. I'm protected. I'm fired up. You've had this, haven't you? Pray. Pray. The Bible says, Philippians 4, uh, 6 through 7, don't be anxious, but instead pray. And when you pray, you'll be covered with peace. If you don't have peace, by the way, pray. Pray until you have peace. Moving on. 
Number five, prayer is verbal processing. And I'm gonna throw in there also, it's will shaping. It'll shape your will. Sometimes we don't know what we really want. We don't know what we're really doing. So we talk to a friend. You ever go talk to a friend? And by the end of the conversation, like, oh, so glad I figured all this out just in talking. God is more closer than any friend. And when you pray, man, you're verbal processing with him. You're will shaping. You're figuring things out. Sometimes we're so, I love it. I got three kids in the back, or two back there and one upstairs. And, and, and what I really desire is for my kids is they go through complexities of life. You know what I want them to do? I want them to walk right into my presence and say, dad, I got an issue, situation, and problem. And here's what I need. Here's what I'm doing. Here's how it's going. And I, as their dad, would love to hear them talk, help them through, send them on their way to conquer what they're going through. And so too, God says, would you just come to me? As a matter of fact, this might be interesting for you to chew on the rest of your life. Sometimes you have situations in your life because God simply likes you and he's created an opportunity for you to verbal process with him. Now, you who are type A people and go-getters and fired up, this is really frustrating because you're like, Lord, I don't got time to talk about nothing. We're doing stuff. We out here getting stuff done. And the Lord says, let's sit down and commune. I'm like, what? (laughs) Daniel chapter 10, there's this interesting story where Daniel prays, and he prays again, and he prays again, and he prays again for 21 days, no answer. And finally, the angel, uh, the angel Gabriel shows up, he's the messenger angel, and he says, hey, Daniel, from the minute you prayed, your prayer was heard. Interesting, interesting. Daniel could have wondered, I, I prayed and nothing, I prayed and nothing, I prayed and nothing, I prayed 21 days later, I prayed and nothing, and the angel clarifies it, no, 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 no. We've been listening. God's up in heaven, he's listening, he likes your voice. He hears you. He likes your voice. Because this isn't like a vending machine. You ever go to a vending machine, talk to that vending machine? You know, you're like, push the button, get your stuff and get out. Sometimes that's how we look at God. Hey, Lord, here's my grocery list. This is what I want. I got these issues right here. I'm just gonna go ahead and slide that over. Here's my purchase order request. I'm gonna get that stuff back and I'm out of here. And the Lord says, hey, bro, I really like you, but you're weird. <laughs> Let's sit down and talk. Let's talk. Fellowship around the fire while I cook for you, the Lord would say. It's will shaping, it's verbal processing. Number six, prayer is burden transferring. Sometimes our prayers aren't so much, Lord, what do I do? I'm having fun, I need to, you know. Sometimes you're getting crushed. And the Lord says, cast your cares on me for I care for you, First Peter chapter five. And if after you're, you've prayed, you're still carrying that burden, I'm just gonna simply put it, you did it wrong. You did it wrong. Give it to the Lord and leave it with the Lord. Uh, number seven and finally, prayer um, is power producing. Somebody came up with an illustration or an acronym, PUSH, uh, pray until something happens. And let's just be honest though, I give you guys seven things about prayer and when we don't see our answers to prayer or when we're just weak and distracted or so many other things going on, we give up. How many of you guys give up every once in a while? You're just not a prayer person for various reasons. Okay, it's almost like starting a diet. You ever started a diet before? You know, like six hours later, you're like, I'm done with this stupid thing, you know? And, I'm serious, you ever done this? You ever eaten a salad before? Man, salads are the worst. Like 3,000 bites to eat a salad, it's the worst. So many bites, you know, my teeth are falling out. By the time your 3,000 bites are done, you're hungry again, like you're not even full. And then you look in the mirror, you're like, I ate a salad, like nothing's changed. Like, dude, no more salads for this guy, you know? You done this before? Listen, fitness and health and, and finance, all these things aren't an event, they're a lifestyle. I need you to hear that because we've all been discouraged at various times in our life, but I tried something and it just didn't work. Well, how long did you try for? Like I said, six hours, Pastor. I did it for six hours, you know, and man, I didn't have a cookie for six hours, and then I had 50 cookies, you know. <laughs> we do it. 
I just, I need, and this is all for me, this whole sermon. I wrote this out last night, and I was like, Lord, we've talked about this before, and the Lord's like, yeah, but you ain't doing it. I was like, okay, I hear you, I hear you. The Lord wants us to pray. He wants us to pray. Paul said, I haven't stopped praying for you. Some of you might think he's a liar. I don't think he's a liar. I think he's, I think he's legit. I think he'd seen everything in his life come to nothing. He's like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna work for the kingdom of God. All these other distractions. And it took him a while, did it not? He lost everything. Some of you right now are still in that process of losing everything. Nobody said amen there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Some of you in that process right now, the Lord is stripping you down because he doesn't want you to be worldly Christian. He doesn't want you to be worldly minded because there's eternal things happening in your life and you're not, this is all temporary and he's so patient, he's so kind, and he let Paul get pulled through a knothole backwards when his story's intense. By the time Paul came out 13, if you do the math, it's actually 17 years in the desert before Barnabas came and got him. 17 years, a lot, a lot of time or a little time for you guys, that's a lot of time. And finally, God started using him in the powerful way. We tend to think, oh, Paul, who's, who's Paul? Who's Paul? Man, Paul had been wrecked, and he was so focused. Because nothing else mattered. And if you're honest, and you've got a lot of stuff right now on your pie chart that still matter. Oh, that's a real important thing, and that's, a, that's really serious over here. That's a big... 2020 has, has pulled a lot of us through, not hold backwards. A lot of the things that we held near and dear to our hearts, they don't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. And I'm so grateful for God's sovereignty in redeeming a horrible pandemic in personal ways where we're more into the things of God, more available to the people of God, more into the mission of God. There's been so many things, and even my family, we're, we're, we're discussing how the fall's gonna look and what sports we're gonna do, and do we even wanna do sports, and, and, and it's good, and it's, it's, it was all these things. And the Lord says, I want your heart more than anything else. I want it to be a lifestyle, not an event. I don't think this teaching is gonna go very much further than verse nine. This is horrible, but uh, it is what it is. And, and I wanna encourage you guys in this way. Here's one more story I'll share with you, because we get discouraged. I'm so glad that we're doing this, this hour of prayer once per week. Hey, guess what? If you can't show up on Thursdays from, from seven to eight, okay, just pray wherever you're at. Okay, if you work and you're on the clock at that time, just pray secretly. It's kind of a joke. But be a person of prayer. There's this story in 1 Kings 18. In 1 Kings 17 and 18, there's a bad guy, there's a bad gal, Jezebel and King Ahab, they're the worst. And Elijah's there, and he's a prophet. And God tells Elijah, he says, pray that there'll be a drought. Interesting prayer. Chapter 17, verse one. And Elijah prays and the rain stops. It's crazy. Like, would you like to have Elijah here in Newport in the wintertime? <laughs> Elijah, come pray, bro. We need prayer. <laughs> and he prayed. Guess how long it stops raining? Three and a half years. Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. And then in chapter 18, things change and God instructs him, now pray for rain. Just trip with me. God says, pray for rain. So Elijah goes and prays for rain and guess what happens? Nothing, no rain. Matter of fact, the Bible says he gets on his knees like this and he puts his head be between his knees like this and he prays. It's the posture of labor in the Middle East in those days, how a woman would give birth to a child and she would labor in that condition and the Bible says that he put his head between his knees and he prayed. And he prayed once and he told his friend, he said, now go look and see if it's gonna rain. And his friend ran over to jump off Joe and was looking out over the ocean, the, sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And he says, ah, no man, just blue skies, bro. Palm trees everywhere, no rain. And he came back and he told Elijah, who's still praying. And Elijah said, okay, hold up, hold up. And Elijah went and he prayed some more and he said, now, now go check. And he sent him back twice. 
And the guy looks at us like, nope, dude, just sun's got 80 degrees, man. We're putting on banana boat today. It's going to be sunny. And he comes back, and he does it three times, four times, five times, six times, seven times. And the seventh time, he comes back, and, and Elijah's just, Pring! and he's, by the way, again, praying for what God had asked him to pray for. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be? Pray for rain, Elijah. All right, this will be pretty easy. The Lord, let it be rain. Mm, that's the opposite of rain, for sure. That's not rain. And he labors and he labors and he labors and he labors. And finally, on the seventh time, his buddy comes back and he says, nope, no rain. He says, you know what? There was one thing, though. As far out as I can see, as small as a man's hand, I can see a cloud kind of just coming in. And Elijah stood up. He's like, we got to go. We got to go. That's the cloud. And the Bible says he grabbed the back of his robe, pulled it up, and tied it as a track star would do. And he began to run away from that area because he knew the rains were about to overwhelm them. You guys know what happened next? November in Newport. Okay, it rained. <laughs> and it didn't stop raining, and it was rain. James, Jesus' little brother, in his exhortation, in his book, says, guys, in chapter five, he says, guys, chapter six, in the very last chapter, he says, guys, James, an apostle of Jesus Christ, younger brother of Jesus, he says, Elijah was just like you. He had the same makeup as a normal person, and he prayed effective, fervent prayers that availed much. And when he prayed, it didn't rain for three and a half years. And when he prayed again, it started raining. And he exhorts you and I to be people of prayer. Man, here's the problem with a teaching like this is you can't just leave here today the same. You have to leave here today different. You have to leave here today, wherever you're at home, you have to leave here different today, praying more, praying in the spirit, praying intentionally, praying on your knees, praying in your closet, praying to Jesus to help you to pray. Is that a weird prayer? Lord, I'm helping, help me to pray. <laughs> what a weird prayer. Praying, you can't leave here just saying, man, that was such a good sermon. So I was so encouraged. I, I ate so much, I did nothing and I left the same. Don't do nothing and don't leave the same especially in these days, if my people would humble themselves and cry out to me and repent of their sin, I in heaven would hear their prayers and would heal their land. That's what God says. And you might feel like Daniel, I've prayed. One day, two day, three day, four, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been laboring in prayer and there's nothing. Do you feel like you're praying, uh, praying in the will of the Lord? Do you feel like you're on his team? Do you feel like you're hearing his voice and nothing's happening? Then keep praying, Amen. keep laboring. Keep going. This isn't just us. It isn't just Thursdays. This isn't just the pastors. This is every single person of God that would pray for your family, for your spouse, for your kids. This is time spent with God, time getting to know him. He actually begins here, verse nine. We got seven more verses to go through. Just kidding. But here's what he says. He said, for this reason, we also, since the day you heard it, do not cease to pray for you, listen, and to ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's where we're gonna pick up next week. What's he pray for? That you would know God, know his will, have spiritual understanding, have the wisdom of heaven. We need men and women now more than ever before to be kingdom-minded, to have the spirit of God writing his will on their hearts and to be doing the heavenly work that only God can do in your lives. We can't do it, but he won't do it without us. And as we partner together with him, we can see revival on our little coastline. You can see chains break in your own life. Maybe you're bound by chains. Maybe you're bound by depression. Maybe you're bound by discouragement. All of these things are gonna be worked through in prayer and God wants you to participate in that. I love it when people ask me to pray for them. Part of me wants to say next time, pray for yourself. I'm going to join you and I'm going to back you up, but we need to learn to pray and to be people of prayer. Once more time, I'm going to pray before we go. You guys can't leave here the same. James, same guy, he would say, if you hear a Bible study and you go home and do the same thing you did the day before, you did it wrong. That's a trip right there. This is a grace-filled church. I'm not going to try and put a trip on you, but if you don't become a praying person, just pray. 
Can you imagine if you got married and you talked to your spouse once a day for like 30 seconds when you told them what you wanted to eat? Like, how's that going to go for you? Hey, babe, I'm going to give you my order. I've been married for 20 years, and my wife will be at the second service, and I won't say this at all. But uh, when I do marriage counseling, one of the things we look to is, is communication. How's that communication between you guys? Do you honor each other? Do you love each other? On my phone right now, my wife, is she's so funny, uh, we, we, we share our location 24-7. She knows exactly where I am at all times. And, it's, and, and I share that with some couples, and I'm like, really, all the time? I'm like, what do you mean, really, all the time? Of course, all the time. And when I go places where I do, I communicate with her. She's my spouse, and I want her to know what's going on, what I'm going through. And, and we're, we're not even very good at communication, but the better we are at communication, the better we are at being married. And the Lord wants to communicate with you. He wants to hear your heart. He wants to know what's going on in your life. And you, and you might sit there and think, well, he knows everything. And he knows he, he does, but he wants to be with you. When he knocked in, in Revelation 3, it was on the door of a church, not a non-believer. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anybody opens up, I'm going to come in. We're going to fellowship. We're going to hang out. And I need to repent, just like you do, of my prayerlessness, my busyness, all my things that I can even justify for the Lord. So let's, re- let's end in repentance and prayer before the next service comes in and gets mad at you guys for still being here. <laughs> Father, in Jesus' name, we love you so much. And I pray that this church would be changed even right now, that you, Lord, would confront us with our selfishness, our sinfulness, our smallness, our shallowness, Lord all the things that steal, Lord. I mean, the next time that something steals our attention from you, whether it be a phone or a relationship or some habit or hobby that's not maybe sinful but just not helpful, may we be reminded that you're right there with us. Just like when I'm with my wife, what if I pull my phone out and look at it instead of her, Lord? It's offensive. It hurts her. And I pray in Jesus' name that we wouldn't hurt you, but we'd have a relationship with you. So forgive us, Lord. May we also pray prayer, prayers that are powerful, Lord, and cause many things to happen and people to be delivered. May this church, Lord, rise up. We need you. And may the leadership, Lord, be spurred to pray. And may the prayer warriors be spurred to pray. And the younger people be spurred to pray. And may you teach us to pray like you pray. We thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. Lead us and guide us now. Change us, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen.